Well, congratulations. You picked a baptism week where you got to hear all about the doom and gloom about what's coming in the future, and that's about the sermon. Uh, We're going to go home on a really depressed note. (laughs) No, no, no. We've been working through a book called Mark, which is in the Bible. Uh, It's one of the Gospels, which is basically just how how Jesus lived, one of the accounts telling us what he did, what he said, uh, and how he lived his life. And um, we're, we're going through that and we're actually up to nearly Easter. It's awesome. It's coinciding. How, it's almost like it's planned. Um, but we're going through it and uh, we're actually up to this part. And the thing is, we don't want to just neglect something just because it's hard. So we keep it in there. We want to talk about it and actually discover what this passage is saying. And that's what we're up to this week. You would have noticed there was a slight difference in the words on the screen and what was being read. That's just, it's a translation thing. The, like, the version Kimberly was reading from is actually uh, just a little bit more easy reading. Uh, and so basically it's a 2,000-year-old language. Uh, the translators and stuff have a difference in interpretation or they might want to make it easier for people to understand. So they just make it a little bit more English as we know it today. Uh, and that's why it's the difference. So it's not actually like it's wrong. It's, it's not like that someone got the Bible right and someone got it wrong. It's the Bible still. It's just that there's a little difference there. Uh, and so it's just an easier read. That's why there was that little difference. But that's all good. But did anyone read that and think, oh my goodness, the world's going to burn? Or has anyone read that and thought COVID has happened? That's the sign we are going to fall off the face of the earth soon. Did, did anyone even listen to it? <laughs> did anyone listen to the reading? Like We're talking about the wars and, you know, oh, you think of the atomics that are being formed at the moment and... Um, you know, well, we heard about uh, the kings overthrowing kings. Well, that's something that's happened in the past. You know, like we don't necessarily have kings as such like that anymore, but governance, overcoming governance, trying to get power. Um, it's really quite a daunting passage. Um, and uh, it's kind of like you can think this world, it's, it's where, how does this fit? You know, is it happened, coming, current? You know, uh, this isn't new either. I'm sure throughout history, a lot of people thought this is happening to us now. You know, you think about something like the Black Plague. uh, And I'm sure in that moment where it killed almost like, I can't remember the exact number, maybe half the percent of the population at the time, or in at least that area. uh, World War I, World War II, you know, they could have maybe translated that to that period. Maybe even uh, the genocides that we've had throughout history. That's pretty severe. Uh, What about uh, ethnic cleansing and religious persecutions? You know, the old tragic things through history. Um, And and these are some of the things that people might equate to some of these end time things. Uh, Global financial crisis. Got some people that went through that. Uh, Even maybe some a bit more current than most people probably went through. 1999 to 2000, the bug. Everyone remember that one, how crazy people went because of the bug. When you read this, it kind of seems like, because it's like 30 verses of doom and gloom in there, you know, it's not an easy thing to read. And that's probably why we try to avoid it a little bit more. And it's, it's got lots of allusions and, and references back to the Old Testament because it's, it's part of this like apocalyptic genre. So it's actually talking about the end times and, and it's sitting in this, it's called eschatological and I'll explain what that is later. But basically it's just the teaching of how the world's going to end. Um, it's got this real emphasis on these are the final times. 
But let me, let me tell you a story, and this is how I kind of read this. When I read this passage, kind of how I think of the story. Think of a spider, right? There's this spider, and it's living life. It's happy. It's got its web. It's got its mozzies or flies all curled up, ready to go for when uh, it's hungry. And uh, it, one day when the spider was resting, during the day because they go up in their corner, a human doesn't see the web and walks through its web. It knocks the spider off its web and it falls onto the ground, breaking some legs. Uh, it, it gets really depressed. It's like, wow, that's, that's the end of the world, you know? Uh, and then when you, the, the fight, spider finally builds up the strength, it gets up back into the tree and it starts to rebuild its web because it's got to have its web to survive, right? It's got to be able to get food. That's how it catches its food and it's got to be able to do that. But then all of a sudden it realizes, oh, my storage is gone. You know, you see those webs with all those storages of flies and things and, well, it doesn't have that resource anymore. So actually, it's like I have to learn how to ration out how much food I've got because I don't have the surplus. And it's, it, then one day it, uh, it gets hungry and it starts to think of how insignificant it is in the contrast to the rest of the ecosystem. It's just this tiny spider. It's not got the strength of an ant. It's not got the size of a tree, you know. But in relation to the rest of the ecosystem, it's feeling like nothing. And uh, it cries out, why am I like this? And, and, you know, you can imagine if uh, it had hindsight and and realised what the events happening around it was, if the spider hadn't fallen from the tree, well, then it might have been in a place, and let's say in this story it is in the place of where a bird might be able to see it a bit better and as the seasons change, it would have been taken out by the bird. If it hadn't learnt how to ration whilst it was hard in the moment, then it wouldn't have actually been able to survive the forecoming famine. Maybe if it didn't realise its importance in the ecosystem, it wouldn't realise that if it wasn't there, then the whole ecosystem corrupts because something takes over. It's just the way that happens. And so the thing really is all about this is perspective. You know, is, is your perspective half full or half empty? And in all of these times, we have uh, perspective. How happy, how motivated are we in life? So let's just, let's jump into the Bible now with that idea because I really want to encourage you, take a positive perspective into this. It's actually an encouragement. I'll give you, there's the cheat right for you up front. It's an encouragement, this verse. This isn't a doom and gloom message. It's actually something to inspire us. So we're going to, if we can pull up verse 1 to 3 again, we're going to start there. But what's happened is Jesus, there was something happening in Jerusalem, like a festival. And so he's re-entered into there. He's had his triumphal entry and he's gone back in. They've recognised him as the king, that will set, the Messiah rather, that will set them free. And uh, he's going through and he's actually uh, taught, he's re-corrected the way they were using the temple. And he's coming out of that and actually now going away before finally he'll be persecuted and crucified. And so what we come to, as we see here, verse 1 to 3, 
Jesus left the temple. One of his disciples said, teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the wall. That is the temple. And I've been to the temple in Jerusalem. Well, the ruins of it. The stones are very impressive. They're like 10 ton. And you think, how did an ancient civilization move those stones? But they're very impressive. And later that day, after that, that Jesus said, oh, he responds immediately, look at these great buildings. They will be completely destroyed and not one stone will be left on top of another. And so Jesus sat later on a mountain called the Mount of Olives and across the valley from the temple. And Peter, James and John and Andrew, who are his four closest disciples, the disciples you heard a lot about the 12, these guys were the closest to him. They came to him privately and asked, tell us what this, when all these things will happen and what will show us that these things are about to be fulfilled. And so we're going to go into the first point about this, this passage and we're going to just read all the way through and we're going to go to eight. And it says, Jesus replied, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And you'll hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world as well as famines, but this is only the first of the birth pains more to come. First of the birth pains more to come. See this, at first glance, it's very specific. It's telling you how the world's sort of like how that's going to happen. And if you want to get into whether it's happened, it's not happened or whatever, you can have a great conversation about that. And this is my first plug that we do a podcast on Wednesday. Have a listen to that. We will probably address some of these things in that because there's not enough time right now. I don't want to keep you for three hours in a sermon. I can see you appreciate that. But um, we, we, what, we'll, what we'll do is address that there. What I notice in this, when you start to look behind the layers is there's two root problems. The first one is that the world is broken. And the second one is humanity's broken. The world's broken and humanity's broken. And humanity at its core now is sinful, and that's a hard word to stomach. Its nature is selfish. Its nature is power-hungry, and our perspective is so obsessed with self-promotion and elevating our own self above others to the point that it breaks into wars. It's to the point that we start to bring others down for our own glory and putting ourselves up to get more power. Can you see that in there now that we explain it a little bit? It's actually the root of nature because of the introduction to sin to this world that God's made us into. And that's what's actually taken us away. If we didn't have sin, that wouldn't be the case. And in the same way, it's not just humanity that was broken, but actually the world was broken with it. The world got separated from God in its sinfulness. And so in this, there's things that happen. Earthquakes, natural disasters. I don't believe that's how God designed it. But it got affected because of the effect when we went against God's will. And we mistreat it now and we cause inflicts onto it. We, I mean, even things like take oil and how we get oil. Now, oil is a good thing, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it hasn't got consequences. And I don't know enough about that to go down that tangent. But the world's broken. 
and humanity is broken. And this is the whole point of why Jesus came. Because in Jesus, he is the only way that the world has the possibility to become unbroken again, to fix us, to heal us. And it's through Jesus that actually we'd be able to rejoin the world with the Father. This is the only way that we can actually be with God. And they tried to do it with the old way, which was to follow all the rules and regulations, but that doesn't work. It's too hard. And who wants to just follow a bunch of rules? Like that's kind of, I'd be in so much trouble if that was the way it was. The only way to fix the world was the sacrifice of Jesus. And in that, if we continue on, I just want to read verse 11, if we can pop that up. Verse 11 says this. We promised two things, and this is the first one. But when you're arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance about what to say. Just what say what God tells you at that time, for it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So there's three aspects to God. There's Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And he promises us that we will have the Holy Spirit in this time. We have someone to guide us, to help us, to push us through. In this very moment, it says he's going to tell us what to say if you become persecuted. And that's a guaranteed promise from Jesus, which is actually a real big confidence to actually the fact that we can do this life. The other promise that gets given to us specifically from this passage is in verse 13. And verse 13 says, and everyone will hate you because you are my followers. I'm sorry, it's not a nice thing to read, but we won't be liked by the world because they're broken and we aren't broken. But everyone will hate you because you are my followers. And this is the promise here. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. There's a promise. If you abide, if you stay, if you live in the light of Jesus, you will be saved when it comes to this time that is the end of the world or whatever that end time is. I haven't been there. I can't tell you what it is. But it, that is the promise. If you're in Jesus, the one who lives through the persecution, the one that actually goes through all of this, will be saved. And this, let me tell you, this life here is temporal. The life to come, the one with Jesus, the one in heaven, whatever words you want to use, the second world, that's eternal. When you look at this passage, it kind of seems a bit contradictory. Did you notice that at the end? Because it's like got 30 verses of build-up. It's like, notice this, notice this, notice this. Kings, conquers, notice a fig tree and how it blooms. And if you notice that in the world, then this is going to happen. But then Jesus goes to say in verse 32, he says, no one knows the time or day, not even I. And it says, only the Father knows. It's like, well, what was the point of telling me the first 30 verses? <laughs> but there's 30 verses there and then it gets to this point. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. That's Jesus. Only the Father knows. Well, that's a contradiction. <laughs> you just told me that there's going to be events. 
This is why I think th th this here makes it massive in terms of what the whole point of this, uh, this part of the Bible is about. This whole part of the Bible is actually all of, not about looking for the end time, being aware of when the end time's going to happen. This is all about make sure you're right with God now and actually live out of that space so you're not worried about the end time. This passage isn't about looking for signs so you can get your last minute call in. It's not that whole thing you used to hear of about like kings and they got their, to their deathbed and then they had the priest come up and say, do you atone from your sins? Yes, Father, I do. It's not about that. It's not about getting to the final breath of your life and then making a choice. It's actually saying you don't know when that is. Don't take life for granted and start living with purpose in the current place with God. Jesus' encouragement for us is in the next verse to be on guard, to stay alert. It says, and since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard, stay alert. It's an interesting term when you start to think of it, be on guard. We don't often think of our relationship with God as one that's needing to be on guard. But what that means is, Really, just make sure you're in that relationship with God because if you're with God, then you don't need to worry about being not with God. See, I, I just want to, I want to actually push this for you this morning because it's an application here. It's a very, this is a prophetic sort of writing and teaching from Jesus. And whenever that comes up, this style in the Bible, it's always got an application. You have to do something. It's got a call to action. And so I think in this one, we actually have to ask ourselves, what does it look like to live a good, vigilant life with God? You know, and we could do what Jesus did and we can start in the Old Testament. And I think that's a good place to start. You know, he, he, uh, he brought up, we could bring up the Ten Commandments. Does anyone know the Ten Commandments? You want to have a guess? Get some, get some going here. Want to name some? Have no other God before me. Uh, don't make idols. You know, you can go down to some others like keep the Sabbath holy and, and actually re re like rest in that time. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. A lot of societies actually built off these ones. Don't commit adultery. That's one of them. Uh, don't steal. Don't bear false witness against a brother or a sister. Basically don't lie about your friends, don't covet, don't desire what someone else has. And, and these things are all great, but to, to me, that this is like the whole point that we just said. It's just a list of rules. That's not the point. That's not going to make it just a good, vigilant life with God. And this is why when we talked about it just a couple of day, weeks ago, it actually makes so much sense. Jesus surmises all these rules. There's like 400 of them. And He says, all of them just, if you do this, will be completed. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. And love your neighbour as yourself. If you do all of these things and you complete all of the commands. You know, it's, it's about, there's this word called desire. And desire often has like a negative connotation, but actually there's real healthy desire. And it's, that's what we should have when we look for God. 
I had a couple of psalms, but I'm looking at the time and I'm like, you know what, I've got to get a wiggle on. Um, but I just want to read you at least one of them. This is something that actually emphasises how we should desire God. This one's Psalm 63. I encourage you to shut your eyes as I read this because it's, it's beautiful. You, God, are my God, and earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and behold your power and your glory because your love is better than life and my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I'll lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods with singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings and I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those, those who want to kill me will be destroyed and they will go down to the depths of the earth, but they will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God and all who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. It's a lovely psalm. Can you see the intimacy? This is David. There's a king called David in the Old Testament. He wrote that. And it's beautiful. This is what it means to have an intimacy with God. If you want another example, read a book. There's a book in there called, depending on which translation, Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, whatever interpretation you want. But that is another example of what it actually means to have intimacy with God. That whole book is all about what it means to have intimacy with God. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind and strength. So what I want to do right now is I just want to take the opportunity. If, um, if you feel stirred and you want to actually, for the first time, make a step for Jesus, we're going to encourage you to pray. But also if you've already made that step, then I really encourage you to just pray with me anyway, because this is a moment we can take to just come back to the heart of it and say, God, we want You to be our desire. So I'm just going to ask everyone to shut their eyes and, and bow their heads as a sign of respect for this moment and for God and this time. But we're just going to pray together. Lord God, it's uh, Your goodness that gives this life purpose. It's uh, Your heart that we desire to have and that relationship to know so that everything in this world just has fullness and completeness. We wanna live in the joy of Your love. We wanna live in the peace of Your patience. We wanna continually just grow and be with You in this time. Lord God, we just choose You in this space. God, we're sorry that we've messed up in the past. We're sorry that we continue to mess up and for any messing up we're going to do in the future. But we pray at this moment that You will guide us, that You, we, as we choose and accept You right now, that You will continually to de deepen and nurture our faith in You through all aspects of life. God, we just want to continue to learn how to desire You deeper, and more and more and more. Lord God, it's in You only we find completion. Amen.
So what we're going to do is um, we just have one more song and we're going to pray together just once more. We don't, we, we, what we do here normally is we don't like to just rush off after that. We like to actually let the time to actually sit to respond. If uh, people want prayer afterwards, uh, this is Kerry. Come speak with her. She's a great prayer. Anyone that's from here would love to pray with you. Uh, personally, I'd love to pray with you. Simon would love to pray with you. So don't feel like you just have to rush out. Uh, and we're just going to take this time too. So we're going to wrap up with this. <laughs>